What is up, team? Welcome back to the show. Today, it is Coach Andrea and I once again back for a Q&A. Andrea, how is your week going? I feel like it's been a couple weeks once again here. Yeah, it has been a couple weeks. So it's been it's been pretty busy, I guess. Um, a couple weeks ago on our usual recording time, they had a Thanksgiving lunch at the school um, for my boys. So we went and did that. Um, that was interesting because my oldest son, he don't, he doesn't normally get to sit where he wants to at lunch. And that day they got to sit wherever. So he was sitting with his friends and just talking to them the whole time. (laughs) And, uh, so Nick and I were just sitting there talking to each other. Um, and then my youngest son is the hardest headed kid in the world. And he was just mad that he had to eat his packed lunch. So he didn't talk to us the whole time other than yelling at us for being, (laughs) for not letting him get a lunch. So that was fun. (laughs) Um, So we missed that recording. And then last week, of course, was Thanksgiving. So it's, it's been good. There's, there's all kinds of, like, I think I said this already, like starting with uh, Halloween on through Mm -hmm. the beginning of the year, there's just so much to do with the kids, which I love. Um, Yeah. activities and plays and all that kind of stuff. So it's been busy. None of it has anything to do with training and diet. That's just been exactly the same as it has been. Although it's, it's been really good. Like I am really, um, enjoying training I, I don't know if it was just the increase in food, uh, which definitely helps with training, but it's feeling really good. I, I feel like I still have the like burning chest from my leg day this morning. <laughs> okay. With the air just being a little bit cold. Have you ever um done long distance running? Um, I mean like a mile is long distance running for okay. me. So. <laughs> so I used to do like half marathon runs years and years ago. Yeah. And every time it starts to get a little bit cold, like the burning in your chest will stick around for like half the day and it oh, yeah. feels like a less intense version of that from doing split squats. <laughs> I was going to say you did split squats and I know like, I feel like that split squat feeling, everybody that's listening to this is done. Like hard set of split squat knows the split squat feeling you, you just get afterwards. And I feel like that does just stick around for so long. Yeah. I'm doing sets of 12, which is just too mm. many. <laughs> okay. So did you guys change training at all? Or is that still the same? No, it's still the same. Okay. Okay. But you are feeling better on the increase in food then. Yeah. Yeah. I probably, I probably have pushed it a little bit closer to failure than I am supposed to <laughs> Okay, <laughs> to be about four to five reps shy. I, so things were starting to slow down toward the end of the sets today. I, I maybe had four if I really, really tried, <laughs> but I don't know. I doubt it. Yeah. I think everyone on the team is kind of in that or in a similar place, except for Julie, actually. But like, I know Natalie, because I coach her still, that's like post diet. We're really focusing on health and recovery. So right now we're keeping all of her training around three to four RIR. And like for her, it's been for her, it's been a thing where, and this is true for most people, same thing for me, where like pulling back on training, like we're really trying to keep stress on her body low, right? Very similar to me, um, Natalie's a pretty high stress person, and I hopefully she doesn't mind me saying that. But again, <laughs> I'm the I'm the exact same way where I'm super anxious, very like prone to being stressed. So, whereas we can't control that, 
as much. We can work through like perception of stress and like routines and things of that nature. One of the best kind of levers we can pull is like these things outside of our psyche, right? So we can pull back on the stress, stress from training. We're of course reducing stress from diet. She is no longer at a deficit, even stress from things like stimulants, like caffeine we're focusing on. So like for her, um, really like for, it's going to be a pretty works predicting at least like six to eight weeks where we've pulled back on things pretty significantly to just really allow her to recover because she did push it extremely lean. And again, the context here is super important. Like if you just got lifestyle lean, we don't need to like do things to this extent, right? Most clients in that scenario was like, Hey, maybe we'll deload the week after. And then we're probably in a pretty good place to get back to pushing relatively hard. But again, this is kind of a different scenario as she did get pretty shredded for her photo shoot. Um, so we're really pulling back to like three or four RIR there on everything. And then I've slowly been, so it's like less noticeable. I've slowly actually been like every week we're like pulling things back a little bit more where like <laughs> I'm pulling out like one movement from two training days, right. To where we're kind of around what I would say is really her maintenance volume. But again, like that in itself for people that love training, like that in itself is a stressor and like just kind of bums you out. So yeah. I've been going about that pretty slowly with her, um, but I'm kind of in a similar place as well. What my photo shoot was, I guess it's been over a month ago now, but um, and I've talked about this on the podcast quite a bit with Brandon, but we've been pretty aggressive actually with bringing my calories back up. Um, so we have me, what my lowest before the shoot was 177. And um, I think the day of the shoot when I was carved up, I was like right below 182. So I've been sitting right around 187 to 188 here pretty consistently. Um, and some of that's still glycogen and water, but we've been very, been very intentional about again, trying to, we had no like illusion that we were going to try to keep me as lean as I was, but same thing there. It's been like my training um, has been where I need for my minimum effective volume. So they're just like the bare minimum that I need to grow, which is, is still like kind of hard to swallow where like the first, the first, what, four weeks after trick, the first four weeks after I was at three to four RIR. Um, and then finally, like I'm now where like this last week was two RIR and then I get to get into one RIR next week. But it's like my upper body days are like three to four movements tops, right? So it'll be like a, a chest focused movement, a lat focused movement, an upper back focused movement. And then that's a training day or like a push a pull a lot of raise a curl. And then everything is like three to my ch chest. Um, he decided actually the chest is a little bit of a weakness and probably something we want to bring up, which was, yeah. I was so surprised by, I didn't, I did not expect that at all. Um, I've never saw, saw that, seen that as a weakness. So it's always cool to get an objective opinion there, but I, my training sessions, I've really been so short as of late because of that. But our plan is, um, where are basically, I think I'll be at zero RIR the week before Christmas. And then the week of Christmas going to get some blood work done. And then after we like make sure everything looks good there, then we'll really get into a phase of pushing harder. But yeah, that's kind of what we've been up to the last couple of weeks here. Yeah. It's like that concept of the allostatic load where you have all these stressors in your stress bucket and being shredded like you and Natalie had been is a stressor being in a deficit is a stressor on its own training and then your own perceived stress. So something's got to give there. And if we can't pull back on life stressors, then it has to be training and diet because those are the only levers that we really have to pull there. 
Absolutely. And I think in the past, like that's, I really value so much as we all do working with other coaches because I always take so much from it. And I think in the past, I honestly did try to like modify life stressors. I still very much like try to do so with my clients, but it's just so much harder to control than like the training component of it. Or like, Hey, can we give you like another refeed or a couple more refeed days that again, like those are just levers that are so even again, like stimulant intake are just levers that are so much easier for us to pull. But, um, are you good to get into questions here? Yep. Cool. All right. I am going to kick the first one over to you, which is what'll happen to body. If I eat at maintenance enough protein and progressively overload. It really depends on where you're starting from. So I think that what they're maybe looking for is a recomp. So that like we've, we've talked on before is highly dependent on your training age um, and how dialed in you've had all the variables in training recovery and your diet. So if you're starting from a place where sleep hasn't been great, diet hasn't been on point where like you're not getting enough protein or just calories in general, um, or even overeating to a certain extent. Um, maybe training variables haven't been nailed down. So with training, it would be things like exercise selection, um, training close enough to failure, uh, managing your overall volume. So you're able to recover. So if all of those things haven't been nailed down in the past, and then you all of a sudden fix all of those, then you probably could experience some recomp. Now, if you're coming from a place where you've already been eating, let's say a gram per pound of protein is 150 and you've been eating 125, and that's the only thing that is changing, then you're probably not going to see much of a difference at all. Um, if training has already been like pretty much dialed in, maybe you can fix a couple things here and there again, probably not going to see much recomp. Um, so it really, it really depends on where you're starting from. Yeah. That's the longer, basically the longer you have been doing things well with your nutrition, with your training, and again, your lifestyle management, the less change we are going to see at maintenance. That said, if we are just, I want to get your take here. She said, and you're progressively overloading. So if they're continually progressively overloading, we could definitely continue to build some muscle. Would you agree? Mm -hmm. I would just say like the degree to which you're able to progressively overload, there's gonna, now I would say like long-term, I think most everyone can continue to for years and years, eke out some gains at maintenance, right? But it's the thing, the thing to understand there is there's going to come a point where your ability to continue to progressively overload will be tied to what you're doing with your nutrition, right? It's not just a matter of like, I'm constantly pushing to like add another rep or add a bit of load. So thus my body has to kind of keep up. It's somewhat, it's dependent on our ability to recover from what we've done in our past sessions, which in turn is going to be tied to our nutrition, right? And there will become a point where progress will still just be so slow if we're always eating. Now, again, like we can squeeze out, as you said, depending on where you're coming from, you can see an impressive body recomposition and maintenance, right? If you haven't been doing any of these factors, right? That's what like Natalie with a lot of her clients, especially uh, is very good at like, let's kind of just get you sitting in maintenance. Let's spend some time here. Let's really focus on fuel you. And again, kind of 
gearing things more towards recomposition. But again, that's a specific client that's a good candidate for that. But from there, um, we there will come a time where if you've been doing those things right, you won't be able to recover as well. You won't be able to build as much muscle as quickly. Thus, we'll see slower overload. Whereas we know, again, like when we're in a slight calorie surplus, rate of muscle protein synthesis is going to be increased by about 17%, I believe, even above what we see at maintenance. So because of that, like you will recover better, you will probably see quicker progress and quicker muscle growth. So I think there comes a point where for most everyone, and that's why we talk about building bases so often, um, for a lot of women that we work with, just because we work with mostly women, I think that trying to do this for too long, where it's like, and I just posted about this last night, where it's like, I am trying to like, let's say you've always seen your, it's kind of scary to like go past this weight that you've consistently seen on a scale, right? We are trying to hold on to like that for too long, but it's understanding like adding more muscle does require adding some weight to your frame because muscle isn't weightless, right? So like trying to hold on to that for too long, or like I never eat above X amount of calories. Um, long-term, like you can make progress there for a while, but long-term, that's one thing we identify that's often holding a lot of women back where it's like, Hey, I want to add more muscle to my frame. I want to like long-term be able to get leaner, but also have more tissue. Oftentimes like going through a period where we are eating more, we're feeling your body better and building more muscle. Um, that's the piece that's missing. Right. So I think that yes, we can see recomp. And I think like people can continue to make slow, very slow gains at maintenance, like almost indefinitely. But I just think that a lot of times it's a less efficient route. But again, like we do this with a lot of clients for the first like three to six months, but there does pretty quickly come a point where we have to take a different direction. Do you have anything else to add there? No, I don't think so. Cool. What do you got for me? Um. So this question is what keeps you motivated and focused when you must see similar issues with clients all the time? And I clarified this with her. Let me pull up that message. Um, and, and I said, I just wanted to confirm she means like motivated in coaching. And she said, yeah, with so many women, I assume you must see a lot of similar patterns. How do you keep from phoning it in or even getting frustrated since you know what works or at least maybe know better? Yeah. Um, also their leaf blowing in the background. So I'm sorry if there's some background noise. That's a good question. Uh, I, I'm interested to hear your take on this. I don't think that as always, I think that like, even like, how do you stay motivated is almost like the wrong question. I think just like with training, motivation doesn't really like sum it up very well where there are a lot of times where I wouldn't say I'm like fired up to be the answer like, Hey, or to explain for like the thousandth time over the last 10 years, Hey, this is how we use the food scale to make sure that we're tracking our food accurately. Right. It's not like, I don't, and I don't think that you need to be excited to like necessarily do the thing always where it's, I know what I want our company to be. I want to be the best coaching service in the space for this demographic that we help women. They're kind of in that space between not like just gym, gym pop, but also not bodybuilders. But again, we kind of have the space between where you have this above it, average interest in fitness and nutrition. And you love like podcasts where we just ramble about shit like this for a very long time. You love like reading our blogs, right? Where that is who we help the most. And 
I think we are going to become the best coaching service in the industry at helping that individual. So it's more so like, what do my actions need to be on a day-to-day? How do I need to treat every client interaction, whether I'm motivated or not? I think that people like the bullshit and you're like, yeah, I'm always so motivated. I'm always so fired up to like do all these things. And that's just not the reality. That's not the reality for me. And I don't think it helps anyone to actually hear that. Right. It's, it would be the same as like, if we told all our clients, like, yeah, I'm always so stoked to train. I'm always so stoked to track my macros and like say no to specific foods. That's just not real. And that's not actually helping any of our clients because then they're thinking like, okay, so there's something wrong with me if I don't feel like that. Right. When that's not the case. So I think it's more so just looking at, for me, one of the most helpful frames has just been first considering, okay, who is the person that I want to be? And then what actions does that person take on a day-to-day, right? And that's all tied into, like, I know for, with our last team meetup, we worked through like, where do we want our company to be in a year? Where are we going? What are our core values? How do we act on a day-to-day basis, right? How do we need to act consistently to get there? We worked through all that. And I think like working through that as much as anything, um, that's very helpful. But, but again, I think like you can apply that same concept of fitness. And I talk about this with clients all the time. It's like, again, what's the gap between, okay, so the person that you want to be, how do they act on a day-to-day basis? What are their actions like? And what is the gap between like their actions on a day-to-day basis and your current actions? Because again, we know to become that person, to get that thing, whatever it is, you have to first start acting like that person. You can't wait till until you're like motivated to be that person because you'll never consistently be motivated. Again, we just have to take the actions first and then motivation will kind of follow. Um, because coaching is straight up coaching is like addressing the same issues over and over and over again. I know what you've been coaching 11 years now, right? Yeah. Okay. And I'm in my ninth year. I think I said 10, but I'm in my ninth year. And it's again, like we've been ran into the exact same situation so many times. Um, I don't know. That'd be my best answer. What do you got? I really agree with that a lot. Um, it's funny the other day we were, we were on a, well, we were going to uh, my mom's house. So we had a couple hours in the car and Nick was just like spitting out all of these different ideas for like side hustles he could do. And it was the root of the issue was like, he's good at his job, but it's not something that he's like super passionate about. And I, I was, I was telling him like, I love my job more than I think 99.9% of people do. And I still am not like just so amped, fired up every single time I was sitting down to do check-ins. Like I love doing right. it, but it's still, I think that that misconception is that you should feel that excitement and drive every single minute of the day if you love what you do. So I agree with a lot of that. Um, as far as it being the same over and over, that doesn't bother me because even though the answer is really similar between person to person, this is obviously the first time that they're hearing it explained the way that we explain it. So if I were to phone it in, then just because it's the millionth time that I have said it, it it doesn't make it any different for their first experience of talking through this with them. And that can be either like a really meh conversation for them Or it can be like so super helpful, really like game changer conversation for that person. Um, And like one of our core values is over delivering. And 
phoning it in is the antithesis of that. So that's, that's one thing that I always try and remember whenever I'm doing check-ins is just to make sure that I'm over delivering and that they don't come away from that conversation being like, man, she really (laughs) like was phoning that in and didn't really care about the way that it was received. So, um, but yeah, I, I really like the, the motivation conversation of like, that's not the best way of necessarily describing it because I don't, nobody's going to be motivated for anything a hundred percent of the time. It's kind of like that same conversation with training where, um, I don't know who I've heard say this, but I feel like I've heard it multiple times where like a quarter of your training sessions will be awesome. A quarter of your training sessions will be terrible. And the 50% in the middle are just like, okay, (laughs) they're not anything, um, super exciting or super terrible. So, um, I don't know. It's kind of, maybe that doesn't relate exactly like I thought it would, because now that I say that, I I don't know how to, how to tie that in, but it feels, it feels kind of like the same way. Like you're some of the the check-in days, it's like, man, we have these amazing client wins. And this is like for each individual person. So we do, I feel like we do have a good amount of wins each, each week. And so that's really motivating in and of itself. But like with each individual person, they're not going to have like this life-changing check-in every single week. Sometimes they're going to be amazing. Sometimes they're going to have had a rough week. And most of the time it's just going to be meh right there in the middle. So if you're relying on that excitement every single time, every single week with each person, then you're going to burn out. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think, man, there's a lot to unpack there. I feel like we talk about this for the entire podcast. Like first, the over-delivering thing to me as well is very important. Where like right from the start of my career as a trainer, when I felt like I like didn't, I wasn't knowledgeable. That was, I heard somebody say like, all you have to do is focus on over-delivering and you'll be just fine, right? And that like every day, every session I did in person was in my head and it still is. And I think like a lot of it too, for me is just, I'm very... I'm very driven. I think I'm much more so driven by fear of not being good enough and like not over delivering to the clients, like not upholding our reputation. That to me, honestly drives me a lot. So again, it's a lot of, it's just like anxiety based as much as anything else. But I also think like, to your point, I think again, like the expectation that you should be happy every day, that you should be motivated every day, or that you'll even get to a point where you consistently feel those things. like. I think that that's something I've had to like think about a lot with myself, right? Where like, I think everything's just always going to be highs and lows. Same thing, like as our coaching company has grown, right? Where there's periods of time where it's clients are crushing it. Things are going so well. And I always try to remind myself like, Hey, this means soon things are going to be, there's probably going to be at least a couple obstacles that we run into. And I'm going to be like, fuck, like what is going on? It feels like everything's falling apart, but it's always kind of just like, and then again, that means in turn, there's going to be a time where be this, like we're related to motivation. Like I am going to be super motivated, but again, like it's almost, I don't know the we're getting deep here, but again, like with like building this specifically, I always like, I try to remind myself that if it was just like, if it was always super easy, I was, and it was just like effortless, for example, which I think a lot of people correlate that with like, then I would be happy if it was the case. What do you really like, is that actually even what I would want? Would it actually be an enjoy enjoyable if it wasn't like you were overcoming something? We're kind of, we're getting way off topic. So I'm going <laughs> to cut it off there, but um, any other thoughts on that? 
No, like you said, I feel like we could talk on that for way too long. <laughs> okay. Uh, what's your favorite lifting shoes? <laughs> I've been wearing my slides out there so much because I mean, <laughs> incredible. <I'm dry. laughs> okay. And then I'll just have those on like for my upper body and I'll take them off for lower body and just lift in socks. But, um, I I've had so many different lifting shoes. I, I have some Metcons, which I feel like everybody was so like hyping those up and I don't love them, but they're yeah. okay. But I don't love them. Um, I have some squat shoes, which I haven't really worn in a while since I haven't really done like powerlifting style of training. Um, I mostly will wear, if I'm wearing shoes, it will be Vans or Converse. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. That's like in the summers I, or I was doing like, I would just wear my Burks and same thing. I would like be barefoot, but our garage is so dirty. I would just like come in and have some dirty ass feet and just be like leaving <laughs> just shoe like foot, black footprints everywhere. And I think that kind of grills Katie out. So I tried to put a stop to that, but yeah, I will normally just lift in. I just lift in bands really. Um, if you can just have a flat sole shoe, whereas if you're like trying to squat or like do a Romanian deadlift, for example, or like a split squat at a running shoe, that's going to be very squishy and an unstable surface. So you're, again, we talk a lot about like, what's the limiting factor for a movement and for hypertrophy, we want it, we want it to be the specific tissue, right. That we're trying to train. So we're doing a split squat, really trying to load and put a lot of tension on that quad, but then at our foot, it's kind of shaky and unstable because of the shoe that we're wearing that is going to detract from our output in the quad. And we're not going to get quite as good attention there. Now we could like kind of overthink this. Like it's not the end of the world if you're wearing running shoes for a split squat, but it would be a little more ideal to like have a flat sole shoe or to just take your shoe off. Um, so Vans work very well for that. I really hate the way Converse look. So um, <laughs> don't have any of those. I do have um, some, I believe Nike Romalios is what they're called. <clears throat> I'm not sure if that's correct. It's like, I think I it's think from right. like ancient, I think it's from like ancient Rome, like one of the guys that was, or ancient Greece, or I think it's something to do with the Olympics. Anyways, again, it doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, I really don't wear those very often. I have very good dorsiflexion. I have very good ankle mobility. So for me, um, this is just personal anecdote, but I actually don't like, I will program. I not very many clients have like incredible ankle mobility, especially to start. So it's a lot more common that I'll program like heel elevated movements or like, Hey, if we have squat shoes, we can rock with those. And I do like those Nike shoes that I have for me personally. I feel like I get so much forward knee travel when I use those that I actually feel a little bit less stable and my knees are actually going to be a little bit more achy afterwards. It's, it's very interesting, but again, I, for most people, like I found heel elevation to be very, very beneficial. So I really don't use those very often. I almost always just lift in bands. Yeah. Anything else, uh, anything else out there? I feel like if you've been wearing tennis shoes, like just like running shoes for the longest time, mm -hmm. you probably are like, Oh no, I feel completely fine. I feel stable. And then you switch over and it makes such a huge difference or even going barefoot where you can like grip the ground with your feet to provide stability. It makes a huge difference. So if you haven't tried it, tried it. <laughs> do you guys have, uh, do you have like rubber Floyd in your garage? You mm -hmm. don't do you? Yeah. Horse stall oh, mats. 
Okay. I need to get some of those because ours, our floors is hella slick. We have that. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the epoxy. <laughs> <laughs> and that's like, if I, I have to either like, I have to go, if I want good traction, I have to go barefoot and like my feet need to be kind of sweaty because otherwise it's just like my shoes or if I go socks, I just slide all over the place. I, I really need it. Like the epoxy, I love how it looks, but it just is, I have terrible traction in there. Um, all right. Last one. How would you help someone with joint pain slash carpal tunnel progressive overload? So there, um, that's going to, again, be pretty context dependent. I would say like with carpal tunnel now, first, this isn't medical advice to treat an injury or anything of that nature. Um, all the disclaimers out there, but I would say with carpal tunnel, it's probably going to be relatively easy to work around with something like versa grips and like maybe using a hook grip where we really don't have to like squeeze extremely hard to grip whatever we're lifting. Cause it'd be mostly be our pulling patterns where that would be an issue. So honestly, that like now, if you just got carpal tunnel surgery, for example, we need to be careful. We need to work around that. And we don't want to do things that are like creating pain and compounding the issue. But again, something like Versa grips or even using wrist straps would likely be very helpful. And I would recommend that like anytime we're holding a heavy load, be it to do like a barbell Romanian deadlift or any of your upper body pulling movements, like pull down a row that would help quite a bit. Now from there, and then when we're looking at, so that that's one case where it's like, Hey, I have carpal tunnel. Maybe I don't want to get surgery yet. It kind of just is what it is. And we're working around it when it comes to joint pain. I would really want to identify and work through the source of the joint pain before I'm really focused on progressive overload in that area. Right. So on one end, it may be like, um, Hey, maybe we're just looking for, um, again, maybe we know right now, if you get a huge amount of knee flexion and this will be very dependent on like someone's injury history, like, Hey, did you tear an ACL or something of that nature in the past? Right. Where over time we can build strength through larger ranges of motion. But for now we like can achieve a lot of deep knee flexion. Right. So at the start, it would be like, Hey, what ranges of motion, what ranges of motion can we train in? And, um, that are pain-free, but also we we would have to look at like, what are you doing this, creating this joint pain in the first place? And again, this isn't like me diagnosing, but if it's like, I think I, again, almost think this is like asking the wrong question where it's like, not what do we do to progressively overload through the joint pain, but rather like, Hey, how do we address the joint pain? So then we can better overload. Right. So then it would, it would be looking at like, let's say your knees consistently give you issues. Okay let's break down what do your squat patterns look like, right? And first, can we identify like what execution problems you have? And that's a big part of why we get form videos back from clients so consistently is we can often troubleshoot things like this and it's relatively easy fix. Can we like by warming up the hamstrings and that distal attachment of the hamstring, um, maybe we're doing more leg curls and things of that nature before you go into your main squat patterns. Um, does that help your knees feel better when we go through this and we can kind of eliminate the pain there? Again, oftentimes it's just an easy matter of like, or are your knees tracking out over your toes? It's often like simple things like this where like, Hey, our toes are pointed out more where our knees are kind of caving in when we're squatting. And that's just creating a little bit of more shearing force at the knee and let's just fix this. But first, before I would like try to really push someone for overload, I would rather than like, let's overload through this. It would be again, like, how do we address this? And then get you in a healthier place to 
overload. It's kind of like, it's kind of like taking a health phase, right? Where it's like, Hey, if your body is in a healthy place, we know you're going to respond better once we get you to a healthy place. But so before we're like pushing for fat loss or building, like let's push you into a health phase first, fix the issue. And then we can like see all the progress that you wanted. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think you covered, um, you covered that really well. Most of the time, whenever I have somebody with joint pain, it is knee pain. So if it's like systemic joint pain where you really have achy joints, like every joint hurts, that's much more difficult. But with specific joint pain, it gets quite a bit easier to work around. Like with, with knees specifically, we'll usually start out with a lot of glute focus setup. So Mm -hmm. in a split squat, instead of being upright and letting your knee shoot forward, you'll stride out a little bit more and send your hip down and back. And that minimizes the knee flexion. So if you can get to 90 degrees without pain, then you can go through full range of motion in that movement and still get a good amount of quad work, lots of glute work and, um, and, and be pain-free in that. I feel like a lot of times it's coming from someone who has done either just barbell squats or leg press. And so it's a lot of forward knee flexion, a lot of weight used and in those situations, their knees hurt. So whenever you just use better exercise selection, it kind of works around it really, really well. And at the same time, strengthens through that range of motion. And you can kind of gradually add in lower weight exercises over time that build on that knee flexion. So if you can get to 90 degrees without pain, you can strengthen through that. If you can flex a little bit more and use something like like a Jewett split squat where you need very minimal weight to get a really good mm-hmm. stimulus on those. You can kind of inch your way down lower and lower over time. And that's going to build the muscle, the build the muscles up and also strengthen the, the knee like ligaments themselves so that you can eventually get into that, uh, deep flexion without as much pain. Yeah, no, I think you nailed that. There's normally like a couple week period, like someone's coming in with a ton of like knee pain, for example, as you said, that's by far the most common where again, we'll kind of try to avoid a ton of deep knee flexion because that's typically what causes it, but it's not usually like deep knee flexion or like getting your hamstring close to your calf in itself. That's caused the issue as far as it as it is like poor technique with those knee flexion patterns, like you said, like mm-hmm. squats or hack squats or whatever it may be. So again, that first couple of weeks where, like, as you said, maybe we're making your split squats more glute bias, for example, we're pushing the hips back instead of driving the knee forward. That'll kind of alleviate typically any like pain inflammation you have there, but we're still training a bit of knee flexion. And then it's kind of easing back into it where then typically we can like really focus on mastering technique first, and then really pushing intensity with that deeper knee flexion. And typically we can work through that pretty easily. Um, a lot of times it's form too. Um, and just like how you're controlling the weight through the movement. So like you said, a lot of times it's not the knee flexion itself. So if you can lay like on your stomach and flex your knee to where your heel gets close to your butt, then, and that doesn't hurt, then, you know, it's just from the way that you're executing, not necessarily that movement in and of itself. So if you're doing a movement and you just like slam your boat yourself down to the bottom of the range of motion and then kind of hang on the joints at the bottom rather than keeping your your muscles engaged that's going to put a ton of force on the joint itself and keep the force off of the muscles where you want it so if you just think about 
through the eccentric, flexing the muscles as you go down, stay flexed through the entire thing and then initiate with the quads or whatever, as you come back up, that's going to take a lot of that pressure off of the joint itself. That is a great point. That's exactly what I was going to say as well. I'd say the two most common reasons, like if someone's starting to develop knee pain, the two most common reasons I see outside of like glaring technique issues are going to be, again, your knees aren't traveling at the same angle as your toes, or people are like going loose in the bottom of the rep, where again, if you think like at the bottom of a hack squat, we can go so deep and maintain tension in the quads. And then we can kind of just sink into it. Where, as you said, we're just kind of loose. We don't really have any tension in our quads any further. And then again, we're just creating a lot more stress on the joints, the ligaments around that, rather than again, keeping a lot of tension on the quads. And that that's, that's like one people don't think about very often. Like I just had a client the other day that we, that was the issue where like, Hey, your squats are looking great. But again, we can tell we're kind of losing it again, kind of going loose in the bottom and almost relaxing in the hole where we really want you to focus on keeping tension. And that might mean we can't sit quite as low into this movement and that's okay. Because again, we're going to be getting a better stimulus for your quads out of this. Um, anything else to add there? Nope. Okay, cool. Well, that is what we have for you guys for this week. As always, thank you for tuning in and we will catch y'all next week.